opinions expressed on the following program of those of its hosts and participants in no way reflect those of the staff or management of WNRI. Authors Hour. Get the story behind the story. It's all on the Authors Hour. You'll get to hear the authors talking about their books and the journey behind how it all began. Join the opportunity to hear the insights on what inspired them to write it. Now, here is your host, Wayne G. Barber. Thank you, Roger. And good morning, America. It is Tuesday morning, 9.05, another edition of the award-winning Authors Hour radio program. Available later on podcasts at anchor.fm slash Wayne dash Barber. Always in perpetuity on that if you miss any part of any of our three programs on the station with personality WNRI. You know, there's a lot of repair garages in Northern Rhode Island, tire dealers, oil change specialists, new car dealers. We have a high-performance specialist, too, that sponsors with our show, been with us since day one, and I'm proud to announce that DMB Performance is staying on for another season. Big DMB Performance Automotive Repair at 91 South Main Street, Pasco, Rhode Island, 401-710-9800. If you're coming up from Route 295, take exit 7B onto Route Route 44, then at the lights in Chipagat, bear right onto Route 100. Complete repair and service of domestic, foreign cars, and light trucks. High-performance work is their specialty. Already since 2000 in the town of Burrowville. Engine diagnosis, suspension, Rhode Island State Inspection. They do a real bang-up job with air conditioning, CV work, all kinds of axle work, and fuel injection. All mechanics are ASC certified an auto advanced level specialist and engine performance. They specialize in Ford high performance and engine rebuilding. Not just a changer of parts. Engine rebuilding, they'll get their hands dirty. They've worked on the Tasca Ford race program from 1984 through 1997. Again, local jobs and local tax pass. Stop by for an appointment or an estimate of any repair or preventative maintenance. Call for 401-710-9800 and that's Dawn and customer service, one of the best in the business at DMB Performance and Automotive Repair 91 South Main Street, beautiful Pasco, Rhode Island 401-710-9800 and also machine shop services available Harvest Moon Health Foods got a fresh load of elderberry pills in. They were hard to get a couple of weeks ago with everybody trying to find them, source them uh, throughout New England. But they've got their delivery in and they're fully stocked at Harvest Moon Health Foods. Harvest Moon Health Foods, Route 21, Unit 4, Colonial Plaza in Putnam, Connecticut. 860-928-2352. Healthy foods for a healthy lifestyle, gluten-free products, over 100 dried herbs, nuts, and seeds. Healthy snacks help your body to reinforce its immune response. Hemopathic and herbal allergy relief. We stock quality brand manufacturers, including Against the Grain, Rudy's, Nature's Plus, Batlean's Organic Oils, Food for Life, and so much more. Natural honey and organic coconut sugar, raw milk. Elderberry for flu remedies. Consumer-friendly hours are Monday through Wednesday, 10 to 6 p.m., Thursday to Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sundays, 11 
11 a.m. to 3 p.m. HarvestMoonHealthFoods.net, Unit 4, Colonial Plaza, Putnam, Connecticut. 860-928-2352. Proud sponsor of Brian Tag and the number 9 in the late model at Thompson Speedway. AuthorsHourBookstore.com. New and slightly read books. If you heard our author interview on our Authors Hour every Tuesday at 9 a.m., we will stock it. Call Wayne, WNRI at Yahoo.com for any locator service or a closed-out book. Again, it's the new AuthorsHourBookstore.com. Mention today's show for another 10% off. Over 7,000 titles in stock with over 700 on the website. Uh, let us know what you're looking for. We'll make arrangements, get it delivered right to your door. And yes, we do have Mr. Nobody, uh, Leo Frisk. We got all his children's books that are selling like hotcakes on the authorshourbookstore.com. Book Lovers Gourmet opens at 10 o'clock in the morning. She's back from a little vacation down the Cape. But I can smell that aroma coming right down the Blackstone Valley right now from the Hogan Brothers Coffee that's going to be brewing right now at Book Lovers Gourmet, your local independent bookstore owned and operated by Debbie Horan since 1995. Very receptive to local authors local artists and musicians, and also a great uh, slightly read book department that they have, along with a great children's department uh, featuring Hogan Brothers Coffee, also available by the pound. Uh, the official hours today are 10 o'clock, 508-949-6232, Book Lovers Gourmet. Folks, if you or someone you know is celebrating a birthday and you want Wayne to announce it on his program, just send him an email. His address is WayneWNRI at Yahoo.com. Help make that special someone feel like celebrating with a birthday shout-out on WNRI. Thank you, Johnny Ray. Today we got happy birthdays by family members and spouses. Uh, John Wheeler Jr., BJ Sylvia. My cousin, Katina Gleason, out there in California. Donnie Ellis turns a 46. And on the 10th, uh, my nephew, Greg Jenks, and uh, famous race car driver, Harry Gant, 84. And on the 11th, my oldest son, Wayne K. Baba, celebrates his birthday on the 11th. On the line right now, we have our very first guest of the day, and the new books are really accumulating at the home office. So we're going to go try to squeeze in two authors for the unforeseeable future. And the first book we have is a must, must read, A Whaler at Twilight. A True Account of Whaling and Redemption in the South Pacific by two authors, Alexander R. Brash on the phone today and Robert W. Armstrong. Good morning, Alexander. How are you? Great. Good morning, Wayne. And where are you calling from? Uh, I'm actually calling uh, from down in Florida. In Florida. And the weather is good down there? Uh, pouring rain, about the same as it's uh, supposed to be up in Connecticut, my home state today. 
you know, I don't believe there's any such thing as a small storm anymore. Every time I look at AccuWeather, it's at least seven to ten states. Every single storm. Climate change, I guess. Well, I don't know what it is, but I prepare for the worst every time they say weather. And then, you know, I look out, I check my bird feeders. I got a lot of old-fashioned ways to check, but we're going to have a mess up here tomorrow night at 50 degrees and uh, melting the 10 inches of snow that I have already. Why this book? Well, A Whaler Twilight is a book that spoke to me. I should say, in fact, it was a manuscript that spoke to me. Um, it was a manuscript that was long lost and buried. Um, indeed, I'd heard about it when I was a uh, sort of a young graduate student at Yale School of the Environment, and I had led a group uh, on the bird watching aspects that was also matched with a whale watch off um, out of Provincetown. And we went up to Selwagen Bank, and one of the things we saw initially was this, you know, incredible opportunity to, to see right whales and humpback whales and uh, on my first exposure to them you know one came up and was so interested and it it came right to the surface by the boat and it watched all of us and it was incredibly you know empathetic um and it made me realize how intelligent they were the way it looked at us and followed us and then went on its own way and i went back and i told my my parents about it back in the 1980s, and my mother said to me at the end of the conversation, you know, you have a whaler in your background. And I said, well, that's really cool. Um, and I kind of discounted it, and I went on with my life and, you know, worked hard on my career and raised a family and all that sort of stuff. And then when I finally had a chance, I, I went back to her, and luckily she's still around, and I said, so, Mom, what is this about the whaler? And she said, well, you know, there's a map. I said, oh, I'd love to see the map. And then she said, well, there's a there's a manuscript and i said i'd love to see that thinking it would sort of be some two-page letter and and a rough scratch on the back of a sheet for a map and in fact there in the bottom of a black leather trunk that had been in the family for 150 years amidst uh, her her first set of dancing shoes and a couple of other items was this 100 page handwritten manuscript um and so i sat down and went through it and that was really the origin of this tale what material you had firsthand from a family member and then with the age of computers now in the library systems and ai to really do some sourcing to make the book uh, more complete uh where did the robert w armstrong part of the book writing come in was he established writer that you joined forces with no, no, no. That's the name of my great-great-grandfather, and it was his manuscript. And oh, so, okay. Um, I basically, after, you know, uh, uh, having gone through and then digitized his manuscript, which, as I said, was about 100 handwritten pages, um, I then sat down and spent three years um, online and visiting libraries and so forth and dove deeper and did uh, a lot of research um, using various primary sources on where he went, the people he connected with, the other ships he saw, the islands that he landed at, um, and so forth. And when I pulled it all together, I then wrapped his story in what I would say is a much larger historical context. And so the book itself, it begins with 
my finding of his manuscript. Then there's some background on his family and how they came uh, across the Atlantic to settle in Baltimore at the turn of the century in the early 1800s. Um, I then threw in a chapter sort of as a, what I'd say is a primer on whaling so that one can sort of understand the arc of whaling from its early stages when it was sort of um, mostly done by aboriginal whalers, then through the golden age of whaling, and then what I call the the most untethered area in the just after World War II when uh, steel ships and great harpoons just about wiped out the remaining great whales. And then, and then we go into basically his story, um, and then I add, after that, a sort of uh, a background on some of the more intriguing aspects and islands that he visited and he encountered mutinies and they and cannibals and as he and as he says in his own part um you know this is less about whaling and more about the things that i saw and the places that i went so it's an incredibly crazy rocking truth tale it's an adventure story um and so i provided some background on some of those and dug deeper and found in fact uh, other accounts that match his and sort of verify what he what he saw instead, um, and then and then finally I wrap it up with what I call the philosophical gurry, um, and that's sort of a, a, a dive into his ultimately having an epiphany on his way home and seeking finding redemption uh, when he gets back to Baltimore years later, and also me grappling I was been a conservationist all my life and I worked for New York City Parks Department as the chief park ranger and then I spent 10 years saving national parks and then was the president of Connecticut Audubon Society and so there's of course this great uh, internal conflict as I read about him you know killing whales and cutting great trees he spent four or five years logging in New Zealand um, and so I sort of cover a bunch of that um, as well as his, I said his redemption which ultimately is fascinating in that he realizes, as Dorothy did in The Wizard of Oz, that ultimately the only way he could finally get home and find his own redemption was through himself, just as Dorothy finally realizes she was wearing red shoes the whole time. Now, in your referencing and source of material, is whaling banned for the entire planet, or are there still... Uh, countries, Japan, China, that have isolated areas where it's allowed? Um, there's still, it, it is basically after the untethered whaling through the late, through the 60s and beginning 70s, when finally the International Whaling Commission um, pulled together and sort of called a halt to it. Um, it the only countries that I know that still whale um, it's Japan, and I think Norway occasionally, quote-unquote, for research. But, but Japan still takes whales for consumption, though they label it as research. Um, and then there's still Aboriginal or Indigenous whaling um, sort of on the, on the fringes around the Arctic. Um, but that has minimal impact. By Indigenous people with a sovereign nation, they probably have those rights up there, too. I hadn't thought about that yeah, until you brought it up. Yeah, those, those rights. But... But whaling in a large perspective, you know, is still going on only in the sense that we are now competing. So, um, you know, the Chinese in particular, but other nations are now out there harvesting, commercially harvesting krill and much, many of the other food items that the whales depend upon. 
um, you know, and they've moved into the high Arctic and the Antarctic areas. And so in competing, you know, we're beginning to take the food out of the whale's mouth. Um, did he amaze a fortune when he was in that trade? He made nothing. Wow. Some people said he clearly did not. Um, at the end of 10 years, he comes back and he is given less than $5 for spending 10 years at sea. It's not even enough to cover his train fare home from New Bedford back to Baltimore. So it was only the ship owners that now profited? Yes. Yes, and the captains who, you know, had large shares. Now, you work with the Connecticut Audubon Society as a president. Uh, I'm very familiar. I live up in Thompson, Connecticut, and the neighboring town of uh, Pomfret, Connecticut, has a huge Connecticut Audubon piece of property up there that I attend. Uh, they have great, great uh, seminars with great speakers that come in, and they also... It's such huge area, the acreage, four seasons. I, I really enjoy that. Um, can you talk about your experience and what some of your responsibilities were as the president? Was it strictly uh, a CEO financial type of position? Or did you ever dictate the programs to be for the following year? Um, you know... Pomfret, the Pomfret Center is certainly one of the finest that Connecticut Audubon Society has. Um, they have several that are across the state. Um, it, you know, as, as president, one does a whole range of things. Um, in, in particular, always, of course, there is fundraising, but there's also management and setting in, and setting vision and goals. Um, one of the things that I worked on in particular was trying to make sure that we had the best staff and the best employees um, at our center who were most interested in reaching out and interacting. I think the heart of an Audubon society um, is that one attempts to, you know, not only save and preserve the birds, the avifauna of a region, but moreover, use them to catalyze a larger conservation outlook. Um, for the state and even for the nation. Um, what's fascinating about Connecticut Audubon, it, it is, along with Rhode Island Audubon, it is one of the few remaining independent Audubons. They were all uh, originally begun at the end of the 1880s and 1890s, and at first the various states would get together um, on an annual basis just to make sure they were sort of lobbying in Washington for the same sort of stuff. and. Later, they had a conference in 1905, which ultimately led to a national Audubon in 1940, in the 1940s. But by then, the states, particularly Massachusetts and Maine and Connecticut and Rhode Island, were all large enough and independent enough that they remained independent, um, and uh, as they have. And so I think it's a real blessing because I think they remain very focused on, on their states um, and the conservation issues within each state. Um, as I, president, to your point, spends a lot of time fundraising, managing, and also uh, looking to establish the programs. One of the things that we, uh, in particular, that I did was look at how to redo our programs so they matched, um, you know, school needs, and they provided the accountability that school teachers now must have in order to take kids on field trips. No longer are they just uh, take the kids out for a day for just so stories, but they really have to help drive 
an understanding of ecology and math and science and so forth. I got an email that came in at waynewnri at yahoo.com from John from Arlington, Massachusetts. And he says, uh, how are the guidelines of your book compared to Melville's works? You know, I think um, certainly, certainly Melville's writing is spectacular. Let there be no doubt about it. Um, I've often talked about A Whaler's Twilight as, the, as really the the perfect um, perfect nonfiction companion um, to Melville's work because in fact it's a true story and uh, my great great grandfather was out there and he wrote his uh, his autobiographical piece um, from a period just less than a decade after Herman Melville was was out in the South Pacific in 1841 um, and and this tale is a true one. And then Buttress, as I said, with a lot of research and the historical context that went around um, his story. And so I think they're a perfect yin-yang to understanding that period. Name of the book, if you just tuned in, A Whaler at Twilight by Alexander R. Brash. Uh, very, very good read uh, chapter book, definitely. And uh, if you're into that whaling period and the personal stories of the participants and, you know, their life stories, and uh, it's just a fascinating different type of look at the whaling industry, but as a family aspect. And uh, when you drop that bomb, you got $5 for all of that work as a bonus at the end of it. Uh, that really opened up my eyes because I thought they all made a ton of money on it. And that's why they stayed in that industry. No, no. I think, uh, you know, most of, the, most of the young men who originally joined whaling in the Golden Age, I think it was as much... Uh, for them, it's sort of an everyman experience, and it was a way to get out of uh, either, as in his case, I think a deeply troubled personal past. Um, his parents died when they were when he was very young. Um, he also became trained as a dentist in Baltimore, but then fell into a substance abuse and became an alcoholic, um, and so struggled with drink for most of most of the beginning or most of the story, if you will. Um, and he finally was too ashamed to go home to Baltimore, and that's when he went up to the streets of New York and drank himself under the table um, and then finally sold himself off to the whaling industry. And I think he was accompanied by many other young men of their era who were sort of lost nowadays um, or, or looking for an opportunity to get up and get out. I mean, I think today many people go, let's say, and join... Um, join the military as a way to get out of a small town or as a way to put troubled things behind them or as a way to have a sort of an assured future and moving forward. And, and I think he was of that group and many of them I don't think came home with a lot. Um, just as, as we talked about a minute ago, just I think really the owners and the captains of the ships. Um, you know, as you said, he came home with less than $5 and at the end of it, um, he ran out of money on his train ride to Baltimore and he had no, didn't have enough to pay for the final leg between Philadelphia and Baltimore. And so he walked the train tracks overnight. And when he was thirsty, he had to drink as he describes 
scummy green pond water before he finally got home. Wow. Are you working on anything new at the moment? Um, my ne- my next story is going to be about probably another national park. Um, one of the things that I, I really find fascinating about th- this tale and the background, um, as you as you may know, I spent also ten years working with the National Parks Conservation Association, which is sort of the independent um, independent nonprofit organization that defends um, and seeks to support the national parks. It primarily primarily brings together members and constituents to push for full funding for the national parks. But it highlights, and, um, and one of the things that, that came out of this and attracted me to this story was indeed the New Bedford Whaling Museum and New Bedford Historic District, which really is a national park site. Yep. Um, and one of the many that tells cultural story uh, of America. And I thought um, this whaler story is really the sort of quintessential element of that and, and that the site captures that and that you can read the story and then go visit New Bedford today and still see the cobblestone streets, the old buildings, the bullseye glass. Um, you can walk in the buildings and feel the, you know, the feel of the times. Um, and I thought this book also highlights the beauty and value of our national parks. Get me a copy of it. We'll read it and get you right on the air. The name of the book today is A Whaler at Twilight, highly recommended by the Author's Hour, by Alexander R. Brash. Do you have a website or an e-commerce? Absolutely. It's, uh, you, can, you can see more about it at alexbrash.com, and it is available online at uh, Target, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, and at some, any great local bookstore. Thank you very much for calling in the Authors Hour, and thank you very much for writing this book. Thank you, Wayne. A real pleasure to be on Authors Hour. Okay, thank you. And that concludes the first part of our show. Boy, what a good one. We could have went three hours on that. Because you know I'm all about those books, about those books, start reading. I'm all about those books, about those books, start reading. I'm all about those books, about those books, start reading. I'm all about those books, about those books. Yeah, it's pretty clear that I'm really cool. Because I'm reading, reading, it's what I like to do. Cause I got that fiction that everyone's chasing. All of these books take you so many places. I see those magazines, they make them reading hard. They're great when time is short and you can even swap. If you got books of Kindles, just raise them up. Cause anything you read is perfect from the start until the stop. Yeah, Devon said she told me, don't worry about the size. Okay. 
Transportation and limousine services provided by CJ Trans of Fairbanks and my beautiful receding hairstyle by the Worcester Hair Company. And uh, really, really is manicured by Lori. What a great job she's doing. And Little General Stores with some sales that expire on the 10th. Uh, Chuck Hamburg, the good stuff, four ninety nine a pound. Imported ham, five eighty nine a pound. And chicken leg quarters at seventy nine cents will be discussed on recipe for a good day on Wednesday with Jeff and Little General Stores. There's one in your neighborhood. Now, every time I go to a supermarket or any large parking lot or a venue or even an ice fishing tournament, there's always somebody that gets the side of their car scraped up. And uh, I think about it, a white car, a gray car, or a black truck. And the insurance companies are not going to pay the whole paint the whole vehicle. They're going to do a section or your fascia, which used to be called a bumper, or a rear quarter. Well, we have a customer, Angels Collision Center, has been with us since day one, that it's got a reputation of the best mixing paint person in the business. And he mixes it right on the premises. Now, you're going to be stuck with that repair job for a good 10 years before the New England Ross finally gets you. But have it done right the very first time with the latest uh, materials and also windshield replacements. No longer a backyard job. Uh, you have to have it recalibrated and go hand in hand with your computers. And did I tell you those front fascias have all kinds of sensors on them, too, that have got to be recalibrated? You can have that done and so much more at Angels Collision Center. Right there at 274 Putnam Pike and Chapachet, 401-949-3952. And Paul Conley just come back from a big, big show up at the casino. And boy, he was on a buying spree. He had some extra cash, so he really stocked up. There is no shortage on honey, ammo, or hunting and shooting supplies at Bullseye Shooting Supplies. Completely restocked. 
a six-day operation at precisely 9.30 in the morning. Uh, with over 30 years of experience, even the manager, Marcel, 30 years. 401-766-4409. Talk to the experts for the tri-state region. Uh, buying purposes, importing a gun, finding a gun that you got to clean out on an apartment or an estate. Uh, bring it down to Bullseye Shooting Supplies. They'll first find out if it's loaded and then see if it's a workable piece or just for parts. Bullseye Shooting Supplies. They know all the rules and regulations of the tri-state region. You're talking with the experts. There's no fishing, no archery. But everything in shooting supplies, including black powder. 401 766 4409. And Sirios is back from vacation. Uh, much needed. Boy, they had a rush down there. And uh, Jimmy was saying the other day, too, now a lot of the gift certificates are coming back in. And uh, he's welcoming them in. And uh, Little Ice out there, they still have a delivery service at 401-568-7187. And it's the best breakfast in northern Rhode Island. Italian toast, uh, Texas toast, five different types of toast alone. And specials. Today's Tuesday. A 15 sliced cheese pizza special every Tuesday at Cereal's Pizza Rima and Restaurant. Over 52 years right there at the Bridgeton Triangle. 401 568 7187. And they are looking for one more experienced server, male or female, apply in person to Cereal's Pizza Rima and Restaurant. On the line right now, we have a second guest of the day. Uh, let me see. I'm going to have to make the sign of the cross. It's Reverend Edward McClellan. And the name yes. of the book is Memories of Phelan. And being a, a Rhode Island resident myself, I knew this area. But we'll bring up our listening audience worldwide on the station with personality. It's a section of Pawtucket in the state of Rhode Island and also parts of the town of Lincoln. Is that correct? That, that is correct, yes. And how long did you uh, work the community and do your profession as a reverend in that area? How many years? Uh, I really didn't do it in that area at all. Uh, mo most of my work in that uh, aspect has been in Connecticut. Okay. Then why this book? Why this book? Um, for, for the longest time, I, I've, I guess I've had feelings of uh, homesickness uh, for the area. And um, I have a problem with, like, my memory. I don't have a bad memory. Well, for, low, for things that just happened, I have a bad memory. But for things in the past, I can remember going back to about three years old. And I have, you know, it doesn't have to be a special event. I, I just remember some of the most unimportant things that happened like they were yesterday. And I just wanted to put them down and, and uh, you know, and, and, and write them down. So uh, in a way, it was I, I could actually forget about them if I wrote them down, if you know what I mean. Okay. Now, are you the first author in your family? Yes. Okay. And you self-published on this? That's correct, yes. And uh, what publishing house did you work on this with? Well, Amazon. Uh, they were the easiest and uh, the most uh, financially. You didn't really have to put any money up. Uh, you know, you'd be uh, ISDN numbers and all that sort of thing. 
Okay. Now, that was Amazon KDP, the newest vision they have Correct. out there. Yes. And they do yes. have a section for Christian material, and that would mm-hmm. have been open, wide open for them also. Now, okay. how, how long has the book been out? Uh, the book's been out since the uh, end of September. So, um, and it, it, people are buying it. I've had a few reviews on it, but I haven't uh, gone crazy marketing or anything. Um, you know, uh, money wasn't the, the first object of this book. Um, the main thing has always been um, so this slice of time in this area from, say, 1940 to 1990 is, and the events are just not forgotten about. You know, my, my envision was to have a copy of this book on 500 bookshelves in somewhere, you know, Rhode Island or wherever, from people that once lived in, in Fairlawn. Okay, so that's who you've targeted for that. Well, I would would knock on some doors right now, the bookstores, a few remaining bookstores we have in the Rhode Island market, uh, Connecticut and Mass, on Mm -hmm. actually do your pitch in person with it and uh, use your skills on communicating. Like taking a confession, (laughs) you've got to be an expert at it. And uh, that's how you're going to get it in the door. I don't yeah. think Amazon is going to get it on the shelf for you locally. That's something you're going to have to uh, go okay. with the shoe and leather on that. That's good advice. Thank you. Also, uh, are you a member of any writing organizations? No. Um, the only the only thing, uh, my only uh, history or training in writing was uh, uh, studying technical writing at university because um, my uh, main profession has the last 29 years has, has been in uh, technology. Um, and then I, 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 belong, I joined some online Facebook writing groups, several of them, and I just kind of listened to the, to the ideas. Um, most of them lean towards fiction and grabbing people's attention where I'm just basically telling a story, things that actually that I know to be true or I was told were true. Okay, your best advice I can give you on that is uh, the Association of Rhode Island Authors. Uh, it's okay. pushing right now about 400 members, but I'm not saying that because they favor religious books. It's because it's going to give you marketing opportunities where organizations or our expo that we have 130 authors under one roof at the Crown Plaza. Uh, we Every single week of the year, we are supplying authors to either libraries or expos or uh, you know, Comic-Con, you, you name it. We're supplying authors and we're getting contacts to supply authors to sell their works. Um, even farmers markets, we're doing a lot of them now with, you know, four, oh, 40 great. different authors a year at each farmer's market. And it's another avenue, especially on this particular book at a Rhode Island farmer's market and yeah. would be a gold mine. Sure. It's only a couple hundred pages, and if I, 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 I would love to go down to Fairlawn if there was an actual event there and just spend time there uh, talking with people, um, and I think that would, that would be a good way to do it as well. We also do the Boston Book Fair, and uh, believe me, if you go on the website, you will see plenty of opportunities, and uh, the Zoom meetings we have or in-person meetings we have, the networking opportunities are endless. They are really, really a good source, everybody. Now, on the edit on this, 
did you have uh, Amazon do the edit, or did you hire a private contractor to do that? No, I, 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 the editing was done by me, and there were certain rules that Amazon insisted on, and I sort of followed those those rules, and that's you know basically how it, how it happened. Now, printing your book on the computer, did you use Grammarly or any artificial intelligence? No, I, 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 no, I used uh, uh, Word for Windows, uh, Office 365, and I had tried that other one a few years ago. Um, but having used Word for so many years, uh, going back to the, the first, uh, you know, uh, the first version of, of uh, Office, uh, what was it, 1990, 92 or whatever. Um, so I, I was just so familiar with Word that uh, it kind of it was anything to use anything else was, you know, there was a learning curve. Are you working on anything new now? Uh, yes, I am. Um, I, for many years, I, I spent working in, uh, well, about seven years I spent working in an apartment complex, and I, when I was there, I can always remember saying, I'm going to write a book about this. You, you would not believe what just happened. And, I mean, if you, if you basically, if you've got 400 residents in an apartment complex that are paying, like, luxury rental fees, um, you, you're basically, you're their caretaker. Some of them uh, could barely, you know, uh, live their life if someone wasn't, you know, unclogging their drain from or, or fixing a light switch or whatever. It, it's just... Um, I have a lot of stories from that, and they're all one hundred percent true. So that's going to be a memoir. Yes. Okay, we'll be looking for that to give me a copy of that. And uh, sure, sure, that'll be a, probably another year before that's that's. Uh, How long that's did it ready. take you to make um, memories of failed on? Uh, that was about two years, um, and it was just it was all these things going around my head. I, uh, I just, I remember, it's like someone would say something and it would remind me of something somebody did or, um, and some of the things in here were actually national news. Like, I don't know if you recall back in the, uh, the nineties with, uh, Arthur Knoyer and the junkyard. Yeah. Do you recall that? Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I have some, um, some firsthand insight on that, that didn't really, you know, it didn't really hit the papers because I lived not too far from him and I had relatives that worked with him. So I heard, uh, you know, I heard about things that actually didn't go into the paper. So um, those are in the book. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I didn't want people to forget uh, things in that area, you know. Now, uh, with religion right now, in this day and age, uh, the Catholic Church is, it seems like it's in big trouble. And yet... Uh, new yeah. churches are popping up everywhere, and as I notice in my travels around New England on Saturdays and Sundays, the newer type of churches, uh, instead of your conventional Baptist, Catholic, and all that, they seem to have full parking lots. So yeah. what do you what do you notice in that field? The well, new I, the I newer churches. With, um, what are they What are they uh, doing to attract the young families in? I think what it is is um, it's an information age, and people um, find out a lot of information. Like years ago, I can remember as a youngster, um, we were not allowed to read the Bible. We went to St. Edward's Church on Weedon Street, Pawtucket, and uh, my mother even said, oh, the priest has to do that. He has to, you know, he, he can figure out what it's all about, where we, you know, where he has his training and everything. We cannot do it now it's it's probably the opposite of that now all the the information is out there um about uh the new testament the old testament and other books that didn't make it into the 
the Bible. And uh, so people have access to this. So, um, uh, they, you know, somebody says this and this and they don't like it. They have somebody else, another religion to choose from. Do you think it took too long for the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, to modernize and now they're playing catch up? I noticed the other day the Pope made a statement. Uh, he was kind of controversial on same-sex marriage. He wouldn't come out and say that it was accepted by the church, but at least they recognized it. Yeah, I, I, from my experience, uh, what I, from people I know, what I see, um, the Pope is not well liked. Um, you know that's you know, and I don't make any comment either way, um, but. Um, you know that that's what I what, what I experience. I take people, uh, you know, uh, clergy included, as the person, and I don't really, you know, say, oh, he's a Catholic, he's good, or he's not good. Um, you know, I remember as a youngster, the the, the pastor at Saint Edward's was, was horrible, uh, and but he had two other priests there, that, and if you look in the book, I, I write about them, uh, and they were they were fantastic. Uh, but the, the the pastor, I would actually shake with nerves if I had to walk by him. You know. Yeah. From old school, very authoritarian. Yes, yeah. That, that's how I, I went to a Catholic school for a short time in my uh, growing up years, too. And every priest had his own uh, individual personality, uh, especially right, the right. old Irishman after they had a couple of nips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, it's amazing how religion is changing. And maybe you should think about uh, the different types of religion now that are available uh, in this country. With the influx of all the different uh, immigrants coming in from around the world, I'm seeing right here in the Blackstone Valley uh, different denomination type of churches or uh, synagogue types of things, uh, Laotian, uh, uh, Thailand, all different denomination Mm -hmm. religions that are popping up that were never here before. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of uh, the Protestants, um, uh, what we call the evangelists, evangelist types, uh, going after those people. Um, and you're going to see the mom of uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints as well. Uh, I, I think the, the Church of uh, Latter-day Saints has, has uh, sort of a bad reputation. Now people are kind of getting to the, to the bottom of, well, uh, Joseph Smith really uh, wasn't a prophet. And, you know, especially with things like South Park and, and the movie... Uh, what was it called, Mormons, uh, something, you know. And so people are, are kind of walking by the LDS. So I think you're going to see, like, a lot of uh, evangelist types like you, you see in the South, uh, Bible Belt, that sort of thing. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any uh, attendance problems down South every time I take a ride down there. Right, right, Sunday right. is a day of worship, and they still dress up the old-fashioned way, too, with a white yeah, shirt, yeah. tie, and a hat. They really yeah, respect yeah. the church down south. I have noticed yeah. that. And it, uh, you lose it more and more as you come to the northern states. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did saw a notice, uh, just a little change. Uh, a lot of people in my generation uh, really resented the badgering. Uh, you know, passing the baskets is one thing. But then a second uh, basket for people in South America. Or oh, the, and tithing, uh, tithing too, uh, in the, in the uh, some of the Protestant faiths. Yep, and uh, how much of your budget, how much of your weekly uh, paycheck are you going to 
delegate to this church. And I think that actually drove a lot of people away. And I've yeah, noticed it made a that, lot of people rich too. It made I, I know I know a few of them that uh, they were getting ten percent, and uh, they they they're, they're pretty flush with money. Well, the point I'm trying to make is uh, uh, my last two visits for Midnight Mass, they've discontinued that. And it could be because of COVID with the contact. But sure. what they did was they put two large boxes, lock boxes with the slots on top, and you put in what you feel you can do. And yeah. Well, that was like, yeah, in, in the olden days when I was a youngster, it was the St. Vincent de Paul box. Yeah, and um, uh, when we were kids, a friend of mine actually broke into the box and, and stole the money. Um, the irony of it that uh, about a year later he discovered that that's where he was from. He was adopted. He he had no idea that he was adopted until about a, uh, a year after that. So it's kind of it was a little bit of an irony there that uh, he had broken in and stolen money, but he had actually come from there. Well, it's amazing how the religion thing is changing so much. And uh, this book reflects on maybe the golden age of uh, churches in Rhode Island. You know, after the Second World War, they had an influx. And uh, also with all the immigrants coming down here with the uh, Industrial Revolution from Canada and uh, working all the mills. And it seemed like it was putting up a Catholic church in every community. True, and yeah, uh, yeah. really working the area really big, and now they're all ghost towns. They're all being yeah. vacated right now. It's worked the other way. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an amazing book, and it's uh, a good reflection. It's going to be a limited market for you. So that's I would, I, yes, I yeah. would really. I knew that going forward, but that's fine. And it's good practice too to get your first book out there and learn sure. from it. But get it into your local books in that area or anytime you get a chance to talk at any of the libraries or schools in that area is going to generate yeah. some sales for you. Yeah, we have a nice little bookstore over here in Danielson. Uh, not little, it's actually pretty pretty good size. Orange and uh, Pashas? Yes, very yeah. nice, very yeah. nice place. Yeah, Jim's very a very good friend of mine. Okay. Good, yeah, good. I've known Excellent. Jim a long, long time, and he's doing a great job up there. It's a unique bookstore because he doesn't have the overhead. He's almost all volunteers. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He and, and they they have so many books. It's unbelievable. It's like going years ago going into a, a Providence bookstore. Like I don't yep. remember uh, with the Acorn bookstore. What was it called? There was a few uh, of them there that had thirty thirty to fifty thousand copies. Yeah. Yeah. And you so, trip uh, over them on the way in, but yeah, there, there yeah. are avenues out there. You got to beat the bushes. And yep, I yep. want to thank you. We're talking the second half of today's show, "Memories okay. of the Fairlawn Area of Rhode Island" by yep. Reverend Edward McClellan. And yep. I want to thank you very much for writing this book. Well, thank you very much. Um, they can uh, purchase the book on Amazon. Just do a search for "Memories of Fairlawn" and. Um, it's uh, it's good to you know read it and if you especially if you're from the Fairlawn area you can say oh wow I remember when that happened or yo wow I oh geez I I I've forgotten all about this wow you know the other thing is are you big into Facebook social media or your own website uh, yes uh -huh. well not not a website but Facebook yes okay and uh, the Facebook is the Reverend uh, no I just I just use my uh, initials uh, E D space M A C Okay, I want to thank you very much for being our guest. Well, thank you, Wayne. It's been nice uh, talking with you, and uh, well, good luck. And uh, as soon as I get something else in the works, uh, I'll, I'll give you a call. Thank you, Ed.
Okay, bye-bye. Right, thank you. Bye. All bye-bye. And that's the second half of our show. And let me see what we're going to talk about now. We're talking about Miss Disease. The new ownership is open seven days a week with Taco Tuesday. And also at 11 o'clock in the morning, you can call in and make reservations or for a takeout order at 401-239-3800. And uh, I can attest to this, and I'm looking down at my waistline. That's why I brought a birthday cake in today. That they have one of the pastry shelves that will match Greg's or any other place. It is just mouth-watering. I'm giving you permission. Have the dessert before your entree. At Miss Disease Restaurant, pizza, pasta, and salad, right there by the lake, right there at Bowdish Lake. And uh, you'll see some ice fishermen out there very, very shortly while you're eating your meal. Uh, 2400 Putnam Pike, overlooking Bowdish, uh, 401-239-3800. And Brian is back from vacation at Brian's Auto and Truck Repair, a division out of uh, Burrowville Motor Sales, Larry's 24-hour towing, or to schedule a Rhode Island vehicle state inspection. One phone number, 401-568-6286. Also used auto and truck sales. Uh, Peter and Jerry head up that division with new arrivals every day. South Main Street and Pasco, Rhode Island. Uh, jump starting service, lockout service. Just slide off that black ice this morning like I did. Well, maybe you need a tow. Download it into your phone right now. And when you need it, you'll have it. Larry's 24-hour tow and 401-568-6286. You talk about really booked. Everybody right now has got the orders in to build new race cars and race trucks. Uh, they're sending in everything to be squared up on the jigs and the frames at Northeast Race Cars and Speed. Right at Six Hill Road in Harrisville, the home of Hopkins Brothers Auto Repair also, with the best brake job in Northern Rhode Island. 401-710-9992. 1-800-766-4748. Let's see. She is booked. She's uh, taking reservations now, I believe, for February. And we're talking about the fine folks at Wagnolia Pet Grooming. A clean dog is a happy dog. And they're located at 601 Great Road in North Smithfield in the Chamberlain Financial Building. Now you know where I'm talking, huh? And uh, also, uh, Brenna, what Brianna is uh, doing a great job there. They've already raised over $600 for the North Smithfield Animal Shelter and added on two more groomers. They do nail clipping. And just a reminder, have your family member vaccinated before arrival? It wouldn't help if you were to. Uh, Wagnolia Pet Grooming. Phone number is 401-999-2440. And they're taking reservations right now for your family member. And I think the last one that is booked up today is the highest prices are paid right now. If you've been accumulating any scrap metal, now is the time to get that pin money, pay your Christmas bills, pay your royal bill. And by the hour, 
They are paying the highest prices at Ross Recycling. With locations in Clinton, Connecticut, Hartford, North Stonington, Preston, and Putnam, 64 Tucker Hill Road. And what a payout they have. They have laborers there to help you unload after you get off the scales. And they're looking for brass, battery, electric motors. Keep them out of the landfills. Valuable stuff inside. Insulated wire, stainless steel, plate and structural, light iron, and lead. At Ross Recycling. A six-day operation closed on God's Day at 8 o'clock in the morning. And they do have laborers there to help you unload your trailer or your truck. Now, if you got that sweet tooth like I got going, who cut the cheesecake? Right there, it was open today at 1195 Putnam Pike in Chapachet. Call David Sylvia at 401-742-9240. Always 20 flavors or more right there at the new Rotary in Chapachet. Who cut that cheesecake? David Sylvia did. Yahoo.com and for tuning in to the Author's Hour. Remember to shop locally and to read a book and tomorrow, please have the best day of your life. Your host, Wayne G. Barber.